comes to our families wanting to win at life and legacy, um, doesn't it feel like sometimes in your home, in your family, there are those who are standing in the way of the win? You know, it's like, this would be good if you just would stop messing up, you know, or it's the opposite way. And does it sometimes feel, this is more like with me and my relationship, I feel like I'm the one that's constantly saying sorry. I feel like I'm the one that's constantly messing things up and standing in the way of the wind. But either way, that, that, that word sorry, you know, that, I bet you there was a lot of I'm sorry that night, you know, going back home. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how much they win. How much do they win when they do that? Do you guys know? Oh, is that? No, that's a lot. I liked how they showed them interceding. You know, they had hands on each other's back like we prayed up here at the altar. Lord, help her. Help her. Jesus. You know. But that idea of sorry. I mean, did you guys play the game sorry when you were kids? Did you guys play that ever? And, um, you know, it's a game where players, they travel around the board. And obviously you're trying to do it faster than the other players. And the title comes from the many ways in which a player can negate the progress of another while issuing an apologetic, sorry. And I think sometimes in our families, in our relationships, things that we do, it feels like to each other that we're negating the progress of each other. I'll give you an example. My wife, I did a bunch of laundry. I do laundry. Is that awesome? It is. I don't put laundry away. Somehow my wife wants to say to me, and she's not here so I can say whatever I please, Somehow my wife wants to say to me, you just do the easy part. The hard part is putting it away. And I say to her, that's what women... No, I don't say that. I, I don't. I do... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't say that. So I had to go to my hearing aid convention. That's kind of a weird thing, right? A hearing aid convention. It's a very loud... I know you wouldn't think that, but it is a very loud... It is. It's a very loud convention. And, um, and, and one night after the convention was over, we all went to a place. We were in Nashville, so we're in this place. We are in a bar. I hate to say it, but that's where everybody went. And so I went to hang out with the crew, and we're all there. And um, they said, hey, it's great to have our, our deaf, and we're over there doing this. We're not all, all completely deaf. I'm, I'm only part half deaf. And um, my wife thinks I'm whole deaf. But, but it was just neat because I don't know how I got off on this. So basically, that wife of mine, I, before I left, I did a ton of laundry. And I thought I did a good thing. I had it all there at the foot of the bed because that's where laundry goes. When you get it all done, you put it at the foot of the bed. And it's all, I mean, like, like four loads. That's awesome, right? And so some women are elbowing their husbands going, that man did four loads. Please do some laundry. That's pretty good. But then my wife, she's like, well, you're not going to leave all that like that, are you? Well, I, no, of course not. <laughs> so before I left, I took it into what is now becoming our office, okay? It's not our office yet. It still needs painted. We're getting to that. But I took it into the office, and I closed the door. <laughs> so yesterday, we're at the house, and she hadn't been in that office when I was gone. I was gone from Wednesday afternoon to Friday night, and she hadn't been in that room. And yesterday, she walks in, and she's like, whoa, what in the world? Ross, is this where all the stuff that was in the bedroom ended up? And I'm like, well, certainly it is. Yes, that's where it all ended up. And she's like, that's not doing the laundry. And to that I said, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know. I, I, thought, I thought I was getting out of your sight. You would be happy if it wasn't in your line of sight, you know. And so I was negating her process, her progress, because she was getting the house things in order. Yesterday she's getting things that were our children, our older children's um, Easter baskets and getting rid of them. And, uh, and she's just like kind of like taking charge of the house like we're in the season of transition, you know. 
And so um, I was inhibiting her progress, to which it was easy for me to just issue another uh, apologetic, I'm sorry. And so often in our homes, we aren't always going to get it right. It's just we're not. And so there's a lot of room for forgiveness. There's a lot of room for humility. Say humility. Listen, when it comes to the game of life, when dealt a crappy hand, okay, because it's going to happen, when dealt a crappy hand, lead with humility. That's the best card to play, man. So yesterday when my wife said, what in the world? I was like, yes, I'm, I'm just ridiculous. You're absolutely right. I just quickly got humble. I didn't fight it. She was right, you know. I got real humble. I'm sorry. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to get this right, you know, and things like that. And so lead with that. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to do something a little different. I want to start at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, because it starts with the word therefore. Then we're going to work our way backwards. Anytime you see in Scripture, therefore, you have to ask yourselves, what is this? There you go. You guys are brilliant. You've been to seminary. What is it there for? And you can work your way back to find some good, positive, incredible truths. And so in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see that? I love that kids can model to us what forgiveness looks like. It just, it doesn't take a child long. You know that that child needed spank. But you know in that three, four-year-old mind, they don't understand it completely. You just wore them out, you know. But how quick are they going to come with arms wide, you know? Because that's just the heart of a child. That's how children are. They just are quick to forgive. They're quick to, to move on into the relationship and what is, what is next. We learn to not be childlike as we get older. We learn to hold grudges. We learn to hold on to a list of deeds, a list of things that we know you've done this, and if you do it again, I'm going to tell automatically. It says that we are to be imitators of God, like beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us, and that that would be a fragrant thing. And then we see that word I said, therefore, therefore. So what's the therefore? Let's go back up a verse. Just We're just going to work our way backwards. We're going to kind of read in reverse, if you will, kind of reverse engineer that passage of Scripture. How are we going to be imitators of Christ? How are we going to be those who are childlike when it comes to the relationships that we have that are our closest relationships that can sometimes be our most frustrating relationships? So the next verse, let's go at 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I like how it starts with all and all. Let all. Those are very inclusive. Those are very broad. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger. Let, let all malice. We ought to be people that can realize the grace of God can encompass all. And if the grace of God can encompass my sin and can cover my sin, then the grace of God in and through my life, I ought to be able to look beyond all the things, the shortcomings, the frustrations, the things that happen in my home. Now, that doesn't mean that we just placate. Okay, Amy has a right to be frustrated that I took that stuff and put it in the other room. So, no, no, we don't placate, but that idea of humility, to come and play the card, this is not the way I wanted this hand dealt to me this week, but I'm going to come from a place of, everybody say humility. humility. A place of, of, I'm not the most important person in the room. A place of, you know what, I've messed up before too. You know what, without a savior... I would be doomed to a sinner's hell, you know? I mean, like that, that place of humility to realize that. Because it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? Through grace, 
through that unmerited favor, that thing that you couldn't earn, that thing that you didn't deserve. And that's the kind of humility, and that's the kind of, he wouldn't have had to. He would have had every right on that cross when that woman, that man beside him said, when he said, um, 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 remember me today when you go into your kingdom. He would have had every right to say, you're a criminal, and you're just as wrong as this man on this side. No, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's grace. That's the Christ that we serve. And if the Christ that we serve can extend that kind of grace to us as sinners, then we ought to walk in the same kind of humility and extend that kind of grace in our homes. It goes on. Let's go back a little bit further. Verse 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. But you don't know, Ross. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they act. You don't know how they've treated me. I, I get that. I understand that. And I'm not negating at all your pain. I'm, I'm actually helping you with your pain. I'm giving you the upper hand in your pain. It's time to be able to take that pain and take it and do something with it rather than own it and hold on to it and be beat down by it. And so how did, how did that, that, that grace come? That grace came through Christ. He gives that grace to us. And that's, that's what we need to have for each other is that grace. And I'm thankful that that grace covers us completely. Amen? Is there anything in our lives that he hasn't washed away clean? Is that wild when you think about that? The power of forgiveness? Man, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what are you waiting for? That, it's not like an excuse for us to sin. Hey, it's all covered. I just do whatever I want. But no, no. The freedom to put your head on a pillow at night and know it's covered. Oh, man. That's so good. To not think that God is holding something over you. So good. You know, we, we symbolize that through baptism. When, when you go down into the waters of baptism, you come up afresh and anew. Literally, that, that idea is a, a bathing, a, a washing away of the old and a rising up new in Christ. We're doing baptism on August 24th. If you, if you have not been baptized, I'm going to put that up there. If you haven't been baptized, go online to our www.mymomentumchurch.tv and sign up today, and you'll get some information about baptism. And in that information you're going to get, it's going to talk about forgiveness. It's going to talk about how Jesus extended grace to you and what the purpose of baptism is all about. But that same baptism, we withhold that from our family members so often. That same idea that it's covered, we don't want to cover it. We want to uncover it. We want to expose the wrong. We, we want everyone in our family that does this wrong to, to know you did that so bad. You did that so wrong. Let me just give you a list of how wrong. Rather than pursuing forgiveness, we want retribution. Amen? And so with that, in 1 Corinthians 13, when it talks about love, it says that love gives no record of those wrong things. It doesn't keep a record. But man, when it comes to our lives, aren't you? It's from the West. I want to live that kind of life with my family. And I struggle with that. I don't need an amen from this corner over here. I struggle with that at times. You know, I want to hold on to things too. Every one of us do. Watch what it says in Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Let's go back. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up. That word building up, that edification, that idea of, of, of building somebody. Rather than holding back forgiveness and continuing to tear a person down, it says to not let corrupting talk come out of our mouths. And that word corrupting talk is also, in other translations, unwholesome talk. And I, I know that you've 
saw this as a, a, a like language, like, like don't cuss, don't curse, don't chew, don't take girls that do, you know. I know that's kind of how you see unwholesome talk, but that's not exactly, it's talking about relationship. It's talking about those things that we say to each other that are cutting and biting, okay? That word unwholesome literally means that which is bad, decayed, or rotten. De- bad, decayed, or rotten. And I want to ask you this question. Are you allowing words in your home to eat away at your family? Are you allowing that, that lack of forgiveness, that tension, and then you just keep feeding in and sowing into it to begin to rot away, to eat away? Or let me flip that. Are you letting what has been said eat away at you? Either way. Either way, that unwholesomeness, that, that, that thing, if the enemy can get that lack of forgiveness in a house, that, 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 that tit for tat, that tallying of wrong and, and trying to hold each other, I'm just trying to keep them accountable, maybe. But if the enemy can get that in our lives, it starts to rot us away. Either way, check it, unchecked words will start to eat away at the quality of the environment you want in your household. Man, and I'm going to tell you right now, when things are rotten, there's just nothing worse. Nothing worse. Amy and I, we go on our honeymoon years ago, and we were gone 10 days. And um, I carry her through the threshold of our apartment, and I forgot the last meal I had made was chicken breast. And I go to carry her into our apartment, her first time across that threshold, and I had left a chicken breast in the microwave raw. Because I, I, I was a bad, you know, I, I I cooked chicken breast in the microwave. That's kind of stupid of me. But, but I had left one in the raw. I forgot to cook it. Do you know how bad chicken breast will smell in 10 days? Not good. Not good. We got in. We got through it, you know. Another time I was, uh, there was a, a bin of, of rotten potatoes. You ever smell rotten potatoes? What in the world is that? It's like a massacre. It's horrible, you know. And so that rotten potato smell was so bad, it stinks so bad. I'm just to be honest, it was so bad I couldn't keep the good stuff down. I know that's a little weird way of looking at it, but can I just tell you right now, the unwholesome speech back and forth, the holding each other, I'm not saying accountable, the holding each other in ugly ways, the writing the list down, and you did this and that, and you know, man, you get enough of that in the home. You get enough of that kind of speech in the home, you can't keep the good stuff down. You start to forget what really is valuable in the house. You start to forget what's really of of worth in the house. You you start to rob those minutes. Literally, you only have minutes with your family. You may think you have hours and days and years, but I know. I'm on this side of some starting to leave. You only have minutes with your family. Don't hold on to those minutes while you're holding on to bitterness and anger and frustration and, and speaking words. No, no. Don't do that. Let's do the opposite. Let's go back to Ephesians 5. So we've kind of went backwards. Let's go back to that therefore again. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You ready for this? What was he? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The absolute opposite of decay. The absolute opposite of rottenness. He's a fragrant offering. Don't you want a fragrance to be in your home? The lack of forgiveness will bring decay and stink in a home. 
It'll bring a decay and a stink in your relationships. But when you begin to live like beloved children of God and you imitate God and you're, you're quick to forgive and you begin to move forward like that, man, a fragrance comes into your life. And that's why it tells us in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, as it starts this whole section of scriptures off, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to whom? No, I thought it was my wife being upset with me. I thought it was my brother being upset with me. I thought it was my sister. No, no, no. It is on the surface, but the enemy of your heart would love to cause division in your home to the degree that for the rest of your life, that relationship is strained. He would love that. He would love to bring. He's insidious that way. It's like, a, like, like, like coming onto the beach of Omaha, going into France, or there into Normandy. It's that, that, that little beachhead. He loves just to get an inroad, and if he can get that inroad, with decaying speech, with little digs and little jabs, it will rob the quality. You will not walk and win in life and legacy if we do not have forgiveness in our hearts for each other. And that's the enemy's work. He loves that. He loves it. And so we have to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from us along with all malice. And then it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let me give you three things from that scripture. Can we do that? Number one, be kind to one another. Do you see that? How are we going to be able to live this passage out? How are we going to live in such a way that we're not walking in bitterness and wrath, etc.? We're going to, number one, be kind to one another. And I like how it says be. Everybody say be. Be. Be, be just means it just is, right? Be kind. Like, like, and I love that. Like, it's not like something that you have to become. No, it just says, I'm making a decision today to be kind. Be. It just needs to be who you are, just like goodness is who God is. Is that good? And think about it this way. God is good not because of anyone else's actions, is he? Well, I'll be kind if you be right. Not good English, good preaching. I'll be kind if you'll, if, you, if you'll be smart in how you're referring and talking to me. I'll be kind. No, no, no. God is good all by himself. He can't help but be good because he is God. And you ought to not be able to help but be kind because you are God's children. Amen? So God is not good because of anyone else's actions. It doesn't matter what others say or do. He is just good. You choosing to be kind doesn't need to be prompted by the good of another person. And what they have done. No, no. You need to be good because of the goodness. You need to be kind because of the goodness that God has done, period. Just because of who he is. And that's why it says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's given us a, a picture of his goodness. A picture of his kindness. You know, be kind. Be, be tenderhearted. Be forgiving. And then when it likens it to this idea of Christ who forgives us, that's the model. He's kind to us. He's tenderhearted and compassionate to us. He's, he's forgiving to us. And that's why we are to be imitators of God. So when we aren't doing that, guess what we're doing the work of? Satan. The devil. And we just saw that, didn't we? That it's the enemy that comes and begins to work this stuff, you know? We give him way. And so no, no, the opposite extreme of that. No, we want to be like our Savior, all right? So that first thing we see is be, be kind. The second thing we see is be tenderhearted or compassionate is another way that you can say that. Being tenderhearted, being compassionate. And, and I want to just say it this way. Stop playing that gotcha game, okay? 
Like, that's not compassionate. Always looking for the thing to point out to each other. That's not compassion. Compassion is lost when you're looking to even the score. You cannot live in your home tenderhearted if you're looking to capitalize. Just looking, you did that. Feeling better about the things that you did. Yeah, baby, I did. I left the laundry. I hid it in another room. But you know what? You left chicken out. She don't even know this. I saw this this morning. You cooked chicken last night on the stove and left like five chicken breasts in a thing of water. So we're going to have salmonella today. <laughs> Sunday supper with salmonella. It's going to be awesome. You know? She, but I'm not going to do that to her. I'm just going to tell about 200 people that. But it would be easy. But I, no, that's not compassionate. I saw that this morning. I thought, mm, my girl. And so I guarantee you, we'll be going home today. She'll be like, you know what? There's just nothing at the house. Let's go out to eat. <laughs> so don't look for those things to point out. <laughs> How do you know pastor's going to be in trouble? <laughs> the third B here, we see being kind, being compassionate or tenderhearted and being forgiving. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm predicating that each of these start with a B just because I feel like in the English language it's saying be these three things. Be kind and then it says two more things. And so with that, be forgiving. C.S. Lewis, he was right when he said it this way. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. We love forgiveness when it's brought toward us. It's just difficult for us when we need to extend that kind of forgiveness. Forgiving one another, there, 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 there seems to be, when it says this, an expectation that, that we're going to mess some things up. It's not like a, it's going to happen. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, y'all are human. Y'all are going to mess it up. There's going to be times you're going to have to make a decision to forgive each other. There seems to be an expectation here that we're going to mess up. And when it says forgiving, it's a present tense verb, forgiving. In other words, it's not something you will do once. If I tell you again, I've told you a thousand, you know. No, no, it's forgiving. It's, it's something that is going to be in continuous action in our life. We're always going to have things that we can be upset with. We're always going to have a card to play of bitterness or a card to play of, 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 of anger or a card to play in the game of life. Or we can say, you know what, I'm going to play this hand that's been dealt me and I'm going to lead with humility. Help me, Lord, to lead with humility in this. Help me, God. Too often, though, what happens is we're more interested in being right than we are in being reconciled. And that, that's where we hold back forgiveness. And so how do we forgive as God in Christ forgave us? You know, if you hear yourself saying, I just can't forgive, Ross. Can I tell you this? That it's probably better for you just to say it this way. I won't forgive. Ross. It's not, it's not I, I just can't. No, it's I won't. But pastor, you don't know the pain. I get that. The forgiveness isn't for them. It's for you. You release them and let God have them. And if it's something that they need justice in, guess what? God is a God of good justice. Amen? Let him handle it. Don't you handle it. Don't you keep holding on to it. Let him handle those things. So no, no, I'm going to forgive. If we're going to win in life and legacy, we have to create a culture of humility in our homes. And for too many, the quality of their family's life and legacy have been hindered because of the lack of humility and forgiveness. We've got to create a culture of forgiveness in our homes. Apologies, they come so easy, you know. 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm quick to say I'm sorry. But can I tell you it this way? Apologizing is the world's substitute for forgiving. Do you hear that? There's not a single reference in the Bible about apology. Did you know that? Not one reference about I'm sorry. Instead of saying sorry, we should say things like, I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? I've sinned. Will you forgive me? I've done wrong by you. Please forgive me. But that takes more humility than just to say, sorry. A quick apology. Lord, help me. And I need this too. This is one of those parts of the sermons where I'm preaching back at me. And so I'm going to preach really quick past it because I don't like it. <laughs> when you wrong your spouse, ask him or her for forgiveness. Don't just feel bad about it and say, I'm sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Watch this. Apologizing allows the wrongdoer to tell you how he feels without the acknowledgement of his sin. That's what apology is. I can say, I'm sorry, I feel bad about this, but I'm not acknowledging, no, I have sinned against you. I have done something wrong against you. It does not ask the one sinned against for forgiveness. It takes great humility to approach wrongdoing as, an, as not as an act to say I'm sorry for, but as a sin to ask forgiveness of. That's, apology is just an act of, that's easy, you know. And so the Bible uses several different words, and we're going to close with this. And I'm going to go quick through this. What I want you to do is look at your app, www.momentum.com mymomentumchurch.tv, and look where it says notes. I don't know if you know, every week, notes are in there. And I want you this week to take these next few things I'm going to give you and to delve into it about your own family, your own relationship, things that you're struggling with, and ask the Lord. He has done, he's shown forgiveness to you in these measures. Lord, help me to walk in forgiveness and humility in the lives of those, whether it's in my home or at work, those that I do life with. Help me, God, to say I apologize toward me in forgiveness. The Bible uses a number of different words. It doesn't say apologizing. It doesn't say I'm sorry. But it does use a bunch of different words that convey the concept of forgiveness. And the first we see is the phrase to blot out. To blot out. That, that's, that's deep forgiveness. God literally erases the record of the sins we commit. We need to live in our homes with a spirit of humility that wants to blot out those wrongdoings. Another one is to lift and carry away. The idea of the complete removal of our sins from us as if a heavy load has been lifted. Not looking to pile more on, but to say, hey, that wrongdoing is as far as the east is from the west now. It has been lifted and removed. Is that good? And I want you to take this in your devotional life this week and meditate on these few things, okay? Um, another is to release from debt. There should be punishment. You did this wrong, and you ought to be punished for it, you know? But that punishment of sin, when it comes to Jesus, he has canceled that over our life. He has released us from debt, the wages of sin that is death. He's released it, and he's replaced it with a gift that is eternal life. Man, I want to live that way with my family, not looking to add debt and burden to them, but to release it and to free them up. Here's another phrase, to show grace to one who has sinned greatly. That undeserved nature of forgiveness, that grace, that unmerited favor of God. Lord, help me to walk in that in the lives of others. And the final phrase we see is to let go or to release. That one that you hold back with forget, lack of forgiveness, literally, you're keeping them from justice. You, you're being the justice in their life, and you're holding on to it. No, no, let, it, let them go, and let God deal with that, to let go and to release. There's a story of a woman named Corey Ten Boom, and Corey Ten Boom, she had brought um, Holocaust, um, well, people before they went to the Holocaust, people she brought during that era, some Jewish people, to live in her home. And, um, and so with that, she had a lot of bitterness. 
And she had, was dealing with bitterness, and her pastor had come to her and told her she had had like two weeks that she wasn't sleeping. And her pastor said it this way. He said, you know what? Up in the church tower, there's a bell, okay? And Corey, when you go and you ring that bell, guess what? That bell tolls loudly. You ring it. You pull on that, that rope, and you hear that bell ring loudly. But if you stop pulling on the bell, on that rope, over time, the sound of the ringing of that bell starts to dissipate. It's only until it's grabbed a hold of again and yanked and pulled that the sound begins to go again. And I just want to ask you, when it comes to forgiveness, I think forgiveness is like that. When we forgive someone, literally, we're releasing, we're taking our hand off the rope. Does that make sense? Those old angry... But listen, if we begin tugging at our grievances, guess what? Those old angry thoughts start to come again. That anger, that frustration starts to come again. And that, that, that dean of the bell of injustice or whatever you want to label it starts to ring loud in your ears. And I just want to ask you, are you still yanking on a rope? You know, or have you truly let go? It's time for us to let go. And that all starts with that decision to forgive. To just say, hey, God, it's in your hands. Forgiveness isn't an action. It's an, it's, it is an action. It's not just an emotion, you know. And so I'm going to practice some things when it comes to forgiveness. And let me go through these again. I'm doing this quick. This is one of those ones where I'm just giving you a thumbnail sketch. You're going to have to go get this for yourself. I, I kind of designed this on purpose not to preach deep into each of these. Because I think it's a devotional subject. This is a subject that needs to be meted out between you, Jesus, and your word. Okay? And God will start to meet this out in your heart. And so there are five promises of forgiveness. There's a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sam. And he gives four. And then another fellow, James McDonald, I found the fifth one I think needs to be added to this. Okay, so I'm going to call it five promises of forgiveness. And so here's the promises that you need to make. Number one promise, I will not dwell on this incident. That's a promise you need to make for yourself. Forget the other person. Let's make these promises to us, all right? I will not dwell on this instance. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I'm not going to bring it up again. I will not talk to others about this incident. Okay? I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. And I love this one. I, and this is a hard one for me, okay? I'm just going to be honest. This is a very difficult one for me and has eaten at me for some time. And Lord, I need help in this area. I may be careful not to say things, but I need help in this area. I will not bring the offense up to myself. I'm not going to go over it and over it and think about it and dwell on it. When I do that, I just keep ringing that bell, and it starts to change how I act. Does that make sense? How I perceive people, how I, how I go about life. And so those are those promises that we need when it comes to forgiveness. Again, that was quick. I didn't even put them on the slides on purpose. Go get that app. Go look at that or the, the website. And in your devotion time this week, ask God to help you meet those out. What I want to do today, I want to give kind of a prayer as I close, and it's, it's more of a benediction from Scripture, okay? I want to say this to you, and it's the Message Bible, but listen deeply. I know sometimes you read a Scripture, and you, maybe we don't listen as well. Listen to every word of this, all right? 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12, summing up, so it's like the benediction of his passage here, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp tongue sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. 
And this is good for both our home families, but this is good for our church family too. Amen? Amen for each of us, because we family, aren't we? This is good for us as well. Listen, whoever wants to embrace life, like I've said, we're going after winning in life and legacy. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil and cultivate good. Run after peace for all your worth. Amen? Next Sunday, we're having communion. The Bible teaches us when we come to the communion table, we better have our hearts right. And so I want to ask you this week, if there's some areas of forgiveness, you're going to go into your devotional life with these scriptures in mind, asking the Lord to reveal and to show you, is there some things that I need to have straight before I come to the holy table of communion next Sunday? And I believe this week you're going to get some things straight. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, right now, bless my family as we go after you, as we learn from you who have modeled so purely and so perfectly forgiveness in our lives, grace in our lives. Help our church family do the same at home and in this house and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.